Hey guys, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Woo! Man, I love that response on a dreary day. You guys are pumped about being in church. I love it. Well, I've got some good news for you. Who likes good news? Yeah, all right. The rest of you are so twisted. What's wrong with you? Love good news. So last year, we kept you apprised of what was going on in our church. Uh, people would tell us they were getting saved, and each month we would come with a number and just uh, encourage you, encourage your faith with what God was doing in our midst. And so the numbers for all of 2018 are in, and I am excited to share with you that through the ministries of our church, uh, the bridge, Princeton, Goldsboro, and Mount Olive, through the ministries of our church, we saw in 2018 260 people give their heart to Jesus. Go on, give Jesus a great big hand clap of praise. Shout a little bit. We ought to get excited about that. We ought to be pumped about that because there are a lot of people whose 2019 has started a little bit better and a little bit brighter than their 2018 started. And it's because of Jesus. And so we're pumped about that. But let me also just go ahead and say, I know what that may look like. It's like a little, you know, pat on the back. Are we trying to get like a, a fishing for compliment? It, it, none of that could be further from the truth. Here's why we, here's how, why we tell you that number right there and why we celebrate that. Because for every number that is on that screen right now, for if you could just tally up 260 tallies and put that on the screen, for every single number, there's a name. And every name has a story. And every story matters to God. Every single one of those numbers, they gave their heart to Jesus, and so now they are alive in Christ, and we are pumped about that and excited, and we're humbled. We're humbled that God would choose to use us to reach people. And so uh, first and foremost, we thank God for what he's doing in our midst, and that number is that number because of the power of the Holy Spirit wooing people to repentance, wooing people to God. But that number is also that number secondarily because of people like you, because of each and every one of you. Every person who has pushed a slider in that media booth, every person who's parked a car in that parking lot, every person who's taught in kids' church or played on this stage, every single one of you plays a part in that number. These 260 people, they may not know your name. They may not know who you are. But I promise you, it would not be possible if it were not for you. It would not be possible if they didn't trust that those people back there in Bridge Kids really are going to watch my kids and care for them and love them and, and on and on and on and on it goes. And so thank you to each and every one of you. You know, in the New Testament, when Paul talks about the church, he talks about it in terms of a body, that the body has many parts. The, the hand doesn't say to the eye, you know, what are you doing? We don't have need of you. The, the heart doesn't say to the lung, you know, what are you doing? You're not as important as me. No, we come together and we offer different things to the body of Christ, different giftings, different talents, different abilities. We look different, talk different. But when God puts all of us together... Something special can happen. 
God can do amazing things when we come together just as evidenced by that number. And so anyway, thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you've done to make that number possible. I also have some good news in terms of bridge groups. So last year, we started something completely new for our church. We, uh, <clears throat> we started doing the semester system. And so what that means is our life groups, our bridge groups, they meet for three months. So it's three months on, and then there's one month off, and that's a promotional month. And that's a month where the bridge group leaders uh, prepare for a new Bible study. It's a month where you as bridge group attendees can think about which bridge group you want to attend. And if you love the one you're in, you can stay in it. And if you want to check out a different study or do something else, you have that ability as well. And so we launched it last year, and I'm pumped to tell you uh, that we launched it four months ago. And I'm pumped to tell you January is a promotional month. So this month, uh, through the end of January, you have an opportunity to join a bridge group. But let me say, we've already got one bridge group that's full, and I think we've got two that are almost full. And so we have seen an amazing response to that. So thank you for all of you who have signed up. If you haven't signed up, let me just encourage you to do that because spots are filling up fast. Because we all need to do life with other people. We need fellowship and discipleship, and we need that. And so the way you sign up is you go to bridgechurch.cc, and then at the top of the homepage, there's a tab that says groups. You click on that, and I would encourage you to filter it by the Mount Olive tab. That way you know that the people you're in group with will be people that you'll see on Sunday morning. And uh, so anyway, I want to encourage you to do that. Can we get real for a second? Can, can we just get transparent? I know that there are people in this room right now, and they're like, oh, bridge groups, that doesn't apply to me. I don't plan on doing that. Will you do me one favor? Will you just go and check it out? I want to encourage each and every one of you to consider a bridge group. And now may not be the right time. I understand, you know, winter sport, spring sport. I understand life is, you know, goes in seasons. But I want to encourage you to consider bridge groups. And uh, again, you have another uh, couple weeks to sign up for those. I also want to tell you that if for some reason the dates and times and groups that we have don't work for you, or there's something else you're looking for, maybe we don't offer, I want to encourage you to come talk to Pastor Ivan right after service. He's the guy that handles bridge groups for us. Let me tell you what happened uh, a couple months ago. We had several ladies who came to him and said, well, there's no women's Bible study, and we, re we really want to do a study as a group of ladies, and we should do a women's Bible study. Guess what? This semester, we're doing a, a women's Bible study, and have had a ton of signups and can still take a few more. And, uh, and, and so that's because people shared ideas. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. I know at Princeton, for instance, one of the groups they're doing, which I am not interested in at all, is a running group. And so they go and run a couple miles and then they come and talk about Jesus. If I went and ran a couple miles, you'd have to come see me at the hospital. But so, so I'm not interested in that one, but maybe you've got one that would be more your interest. And so I just want to encourage you, uh, go and talk to Pastor Ivan. I also want to say, welcome back to our UMO students. Guys, can we give them a hand? 
pumped to have you guys back with us. I am leading an FCA group, and so uh, I want to encourage you, if you're a UMO student on Monday nights, now Pastor Ronnie's still the leader and all that, I am helping him lead that, and so we've got that available as a bridge group. I know several students that came to church here didn't even realize that that was a thing, and so I just want to encourage you, even if you go to school here, even if you're a college student, you still have the opportunity to sign up for that bridge group and, uh, and go to FCA. So anyway, feel free to talk to me after service. Feel free to go online and, uh, and we can chat about all that stuff. Okay. All right. Well, we are in a sermon series called confidence. And so what we've been talking about is confidence. And last week we talked about the source of our confidence is in, uh, is in Jesus. He is the source of our confidence. And this week I want to just start out by saying, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this. Have you ever gone to like buy a car and you, you see the car and you're like, I've never seen one of these on the road. And then you purchase that car or maybe you just think about it. But all of a sudden for the next few weeks, you see what? You see that car everywhere. It's like, oh my goodness, does everybody drive one of these? This is insane. And you just had never noticed it before. Well, I've kind of had a similar experience on this subject of confidence. I've known for uh, several weeks now that that was going to be the sermon series. And so right before uh, the end of the year, I was watching the news one day and saw that the market was dipping. The market had taken a little bit of a, uh, not a nosedive, that's too strong a word, but the market was down. And so the newscaster was out there on Wall Street, and he was like, you know, of course, I think investors are concerned. They're concerned about the government shutdown. They're concerned about border security and immigration, along with a whole host of other uh, topics and other things. But investors are just a little skittish. And so here's what he said right before he kicked it back to the newsroom. He said, investors are just looking for a little confidence. Back to you guys. And as soon as he said that, I was like, there's my thing. That's what we're talking about. Then, so two weeks ago, again, I'm watching the news. And uh, there's a, a newscaster in Raleigh. And I don't know what the real name of it was, but there was like an economic summit. It was the, a North Carolina economic summit a couple weeks ago in Raleigh. And you had business leaders, potential business leaders, politicians, economic advisors, they all gathered in the nation's capital. And this newscaster interviewed one of the business leaders, and he said, you know, I'm really concerned. Part of the reason why I'm here today is because I, I'm just curious. You know, uh, North Carolina hasn't been able to land a big fish. We haven't gotten an Apple or an Amazon. And so, the thing that I think these presenters need to do today to make people like me feel better is they need to be able to inspire confidence in the economic outlook of North Carolina. Again, I'm like, oh, there's my word. That's what we're talking about. Guys, I, I'm telling you, it's not just investors, it's not just business leaders that want confidence. I believe confidence is something that we all crave. Case in point, when you go to a restaurant, what's the first thing you look at? 
First thing you look at is the health grade. Now, not if you're a young man. I see some young men out there shaking their... We look at the food, but I promise you, all, everybody else, you know, we're just hungry. We don't even go to a restaurant unless we're hungry. And by the time we're there, it's like, well, there's no turning back. You know, we're there. But for everybody else, especially if you've got kids, you want to look at that health grade. Because you want to see that health inspector who nosed around all in the back, checked out the uh, coolers and freezers, checked out the people cooking the stuff. You want to have confidence that that food you're about to eat was stored properly, that it was prepared properly, that Bubba's not back there wiping his nose and then making your sandwich. You want to have some confidence When I get my food to the table, yes, I'm going to pray and bless my food, but I just want Jesus to have to work in conjunction with what's already been happening. I don't want Jesus to have to do a miracle right there at my table to make this food good nourishment for me. We want confidence. We want confidence. If you've got kids, you know when your kid got old enough to go to daycare or school, you didn't just send them anywhere. You didn't just go in and say, well, man, this place is kind of a dump, but it's pretty cheap. All right, we'll do it. No, you walked around. You wanted to see what the other kids look like. You wanted to talk to other parents. How, what's your experience been? Because we want the best for our kids. And so we want to have some confidence. I could go on and on and on and on with places in our life that we crave confidence. Yet hear me, guys. So often we misplace our confidence. So often we put confidence and we put a lot of trust in places that our confidence does not belong. We put confidence in things like appearance and stuff and achievements. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Listen, you look good. Okay, that's awesome. You dress nice. But if you put your confidence in that Under Armour logo on your shirt, or you put confidence in that Michael Kors nameplate on your purse, or I don't even know what all the other ones are, but what if you put your confidence there, horrible place to have it. Stuff. Nothing wrong with driving a new car. That's awesome. You've got money, you can afford that. That's great. But if you place your confidence in the fact that you can drive a brand new BMW and you think you're better than me because I drive an 11-year-old GMC with 190,000 miles, you're wrong. I'll sell it to you for a good deal, buddy. I think about achievements. You're the boss, you're the VP, you're the team leader, the manager. Hey, Awesome. Congratulations. But if you take your confidence in those things, your confidence is misplaced. So what do we do? When we put our confidence in anything other than the finished work of Christ, we set ourselves up to live on the roller coaster of insecurity. The ups and downs, the highs and lows, because all of those things change. Now, don't get me wrong. I love a good roller coaster. Anybody here love roller coasters? Put your hands up high. Let me see them. Need to know who I'm talking to this morning. Okay, good. If you're like, you would never, ever, ever catch me on a roller coaster, can you put your hand up now? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot of people. Okay. So 
So when I was young, I used to get migraines all the time. Not all the time. I used to get migraines. Um, and, and I knew what would happen. If I ever got dizzy, I would have a migraine. And I'd be down and out in the bed, throwing up, head hurting, two or three days. It was horrible. And so growing up, we would go to the fair or the amusement park or whatever, and I would see my sister having all this fun. And finally one day, I was like, I can't take it anymore. Whatever's going to happen is going to have to happen because I'm getting on that roller coaster. And I got on, and it was amazing. I didn't get dizzy, didn't, head didn't hurt. And so I have loved roller coasters ever since. I love them, but I don't want to live on one. They make for an awesome time at an amusement park, but none of us want to live on a roller coaster with the constant up and down and up and down. I think about some of us. This is a common one. We put our confidence in our bank account. And so when we got money in the account, tick, 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 tick. We're on top of the mountain. It feels good. This is incredible. And then what happens? I know a lot of you state workers, I've seen the memes. You guys got paid, I think, in the middle of December. And now you've got to wait until the, what is it, the 91st day of January to get another paycheck. Isn't that what I've heard? And so you're waiting until the end of January. And, and so now what's happening? Whee! And you're upside down and sideways and feel like you got a little bit of whiplash. What happened to all my money? And so if we place confidence in those types of things, it will let us down every single time. I'm going to get into the heart of the message. Let me tell you one more thing that I think is hilarious. I heard a comedian say, Confidence is that feeling you have right before you understand the situation. Have you ever felt like that as a parent? Kids are in the other room going nuts, and you walk in, and you're like, I'm about to straighten this out. And you get in there, and they both start telling you your story, and they're like, as a parent, I don't know what to do. So everybody gets a spanking. Like, we're just going to pass them out. It's just... Confidence is that feeling you have right before you understand the situation. That's how some people live, but it's not how you have to live. I want to help you get off the roller coaster of insecurity. I've got three points. Number one, relax in God's grace. Relax in God's grace. So really, that point is a play off of what we, I taught you last week. Last week, I had a sermon illustration. I brought Chris and Tiffany Rowe up here, and uh, they had a little object lesson for us. couple thoughts on that. Number one, I'm pretty sure he's still in trouble, but they were absolutely hilarious. So I've got to figure out more ways to get Chris up here on the stage. Um, but the second thing is, I heard from many of you who said, man, that was eye-opening. That, that really helped me understand. And so Praise be unto God. If I ever say anything profound up here, let me just tell you, it's Jesus, okay? It really is 100% Jesus. And if I ever say anything and you're like, huh, then that was me and I didn't pray enough. <laughs> Here's what you need to understand. It really is helpful. Let me say this, this though. It really is helpful uh, when something strikes a chord in you if you, if you tell me because I, I, I really so badly want to preach in a way that's going to help you on Monday and Tuesday and Friday, and I, I want to preach sermons that are 
going to strike a chord. And so anyway, um, but heard from a lot of you. Some people requested the notes. And so if you weren't here last week, maybe you ought to do that. We talked about the source of our, of our security, the source of our confidence. And we talked about salvation last week. And so just to kind of go ahead and get to the point, when Tiffany got saved, the first time we did it wrong, but then the second time, she hopped up in Chris's arms. Chris was portraying Jesus. She hops up in his arms. And at one point, I don't know if you guys noticed this or not, but she actually kind of just rested there. She wasn't trying to get up. She wasn't sitting up. She wasn't tense. She was just resting and relaxing in his arms. And so what we learn from that is that we as believers, as people who are in Christ, God's the pilot. He's not the co-pilot. He's not the, God is the one who is in control of our life. And so we hop up in his arms. And once we are in his arms, we have the assurance that we're right where we need to be. And so we don't have to look back and wonder like, am I saved or am I good? All we need to do is look over and there is Jesus. So I think after last week, we all would say, yeah, I want to do that. How do I do that? So I want to show you how. And the best way I know to show you is in Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And, uh, and we're going to look at that. Those of you who are going to open your Bible and get there, I'll give you just a second. For everybody else, it's going to be on the screen. Here, Paul is talking to the church in Galatia. And here's how he starts, verse 1. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? That's not a very good start. <laughs> I don't want to be the church in Galatia at that moment. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I think about a parent, a dad coming into a room. What are you doing? I've told you so many times not to do that. And yet I turn my back and what are you doing? The very thing and so here they are, you foolish Galatians, what has bewitched you? Verse 2, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by, by observing the law or by believing what you heard? This is a rhetorical question. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Paul was there. He knows. He's the one that founded the church in Galatia. He knows that they uh, received the Spirit by believing what they heard. But now they had changed it up. Now they were trying to start observing the law. And, and so just in case you're new to this whole Bible, Jesus, God thing, the law he's talking about there is the Mosaic law. In the first five books of the Bible, you, God gives these rules, these laws to Moses. And these laws were designed to be a measuring stick. These laws were designed, you would hold them up to your life and they would show you where you miss the mark. Spoiler alert, everyone that ever lived except for Jesus missed the mark. Some of them by a whole lot, some of them by not very much, but every single person missed the mark. But if you are guilty of breaking just one law, 
you were guilty of being a lawbreaker. And so what you would have to do is you would have to take a sacrifice, a sin offering or a guilt offering. Uh, You would have to go and make an offering at the temple, and then you had reconciliation with God. Then you were back in fellowship. with. You would go and do those things to be made in right standing with him. And so again, the law was just a measuring stick. It was designed to show fault. And so Paul says, wait, 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 wait. You started out relaxing in God's embrace. And at some point you decided, I'm Gonna, I want to go to the measuring system and I want to see where my fault. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? And so he goes on, verse 3, Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Paul knows how they got started because, again, like I've already said, Paul founded the church. He was the founding uh, pastor and apostle and And he showed them the way of grace, and they're relaxing in God's arms. But here's what happened. Paul went away, and Judaizers came in. And these Judaizers, they were Jewish Christians who they had come to the Christian faith. They believed in Jesus. They believed that he is who he said he was, and that he did what he said he did. They believed in Jesus. But they also thought that some of the Old Testament ceremonial laws Some of the Mosaic laws that were ceremonial in nature, they thought some of those were still binding on them. So what they introduced to the church in Galatia was grace. Yeah, that's great, grace, but plus works. The way that you are saved, the way that you stay saved, the way that you do this thing is grace plus works. And Paul's writing to them, and he said, wait, you started off with grace. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He died on that cross for your sin. You don't have to come to the temple anymore and make guilt offerings and sin offerings. Jesus was your sacrifice. You are resting in his arms and now you're trying to get there by human effort. So I heard, I heard the story about this hitchhiker. Good Samaritan sees him. This hitchhiker's trying to get down the road Good Samaritan picks him up, says, come on, man, hop in. They start chatting, and it occurs after a few minutes to this Good Samaritan, he looks over, and this guy is just struggling. He's got his backpack on, he's buckled in, and he's just kind of leaned forward, and he looks very uncomfortable. And so the Good Samaritan says to him, hey, man, you can put your bag in the back. Hitchhiker looks at him and says, oh, no, you, you gave me a ride. I couldn't ask you to give my bag a ride, too. We hear that story, and everybody's like, wait, what's wrong with this guy? Of course, this good Samaritan is giving this guy's bag a ride, too. But this hitchhiker felt some sort of uh, felt some sort of duty. I've got I've to be my own man. I've got to get there by human effort. I've got to do what I can. That's a picture of this Galatian church. They, they had gotten down out of Jesus' arms, and they're trying to get there by human effort. And Paul's like, what has bewitched you? Why would you do that? Psalm 118 verse 8 says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence 
in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Anybody here ever had a person let you down? Can you just raise your hands? I want to see them. Anybody here ever had a person let you down? Every single hand in this place. And my guess is it wasn't one person. It was a lot of people. And some of them very well-intentioned people. Your mom, your spouse, your dad. And it was people that did not want to let you down. And they didn't mean to let you down. But somewhere along the way, they dropped the ball. Hey, let me, let me tell you a story. This past summer, there was a family that shared with me something that was going on in their life. I, for various reasons, and I could go into all of them, but I want, for various reasons, I thought, okay, that's handled. It's good. And after a couple weeks, I realized, oh man, I dropped the ball. I, they told me about this and I didn't do anything and I felt horrible. And, and I'm Pastor Andrew, and I don't want to let people down, and I never want to let people down. I had to call this family and say, hey, can we meet? And I apologized to them, and I said, guys, I goofed. I messed up. I am so, could you forgive me? And they did, and they were very gracious about it, and we've cleared the air. What am I saying? I'm saying that if you put your confidence in a person at some point, even if they try their hardest, they're going to let you down. Even me, even Pastor Andrew, don't put me on a pedestal. I'll let you down, and I won't mean to, and I'll be brokenhearted when I find out about it. But our confidence belongs with one person. Romans 10, 11 tells us that anyone who puts their confidence in God will never be put to shame. Just write that reference down. We're not going to put it up there. Romans 10, 11. Anybody who puts their confidence in God will never be put to shame. You are never in better hands than when God is holding you. That's just the bottom line. You're never in better hands than when God is holding you. So, so how do you do that? Here's what it looks like in real life. Jesus is the Lord of your life. He gets to be the boss of your life. He gets to be the one who's in charge. So when you feel... Uh, a leading to go and pray for someone, when you feel a leading to get involved or to serve in some way, when you feel a leading uh, to do something, we do it. When we feel a leading to volunteer, when we feel a leading to give, we acknowledge those things that God has told us to do and we do them because he's in control. And when we will rest in him, when we will relax in his arms, that means we are following his lordship and his leadership. Another way you do that is through prayer and scripture study. Because the more I know about God, the more I know his heart, the more I know I can trust him with my heart. The more I know that he will never leave me or forsake me, the more I know that he cares about me. And so then I am more apt to relax because I know he's got me. So the way that we get off the roller coaster of insecurity is <clears throat> that point number one, gosh, brain fart, we relax in God's grace. Number two, we have to eliminate negative self-talk. Eliminate negative self-talk. 
Proverbs 4.23, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Go ahead and put that next slide up there, guys. So, so if I want to change my actions, the way I do that is how? I have to back up. I have to change my thoughts. Here, here's what happens for so many of us around this time of year. We make New Year's resolutions, and you know what we do? We have behavior modification. We come to this side right here and say, I am going to, by sheer willpower, I am going to make myself whatever, go to the gym more, not drink soft drinks, whatever that thing is for you. That, And so we start right here with actions. Behavior modification will work sometimes. You know what works most often time? The way that your whole the whole you can be in alignment is you have to back up, start over here with thoughts, get your thoughts in line, and then you get your feelings, and then you go from feelings to actions, and then all of who you are is going in the same direction. What am I talking about? I'm talking about eliminating negative self-talk. Did some research this week, and I found out that the average person says 150 words per minute. The average person can say 150 words per minute. Some of you are overachievers. But the average is 150 words per minute. Now, so, so that's what you can say, but the average person can hear 500 words per minute. A little bit of a difference there. Let me say it one more time. You can say 150 words per minute. You can hear 500 words per minute. So that means that every minute that comes, there is a built-in 350 word per minute boredom factor. That means I can be preaching my heart out up here. And you can hear me and make lunch plans all at the same time. That's right, I know. I know what y'all do out there. You can do both. The problem is sometimes those lunch plans get more interesting than me up here. And I have to scream out, hey, I'm still here. Here's what I think is the most interesting part, though. Scientists also say that you, you talk to yourself. There is an inner dialogue that you have with yourself, and that happens, get ready for this, at 1,300 words per minute. 13. She said, I believe it. How in the world can it be that fast? Because we can think in pictures. We can think in memories. It's like a video in our mind. And a picture's worth a thousand words. And so we can think much faster than we can talk or even we can hear. And so 1,300 words per minute, this inner dialogue... And for many of you, that inner dialogue is like we see in Job. Look at it. It's, verse nine, it's chapter 9, verse 20. Job says, Even if I were innocent, my mouth would condemn me. If I were blameless, it would pronounce me guilty. Job said, if, if I were innocent, my mouth would say I wasn't. If I was blameless, I would pronounce myself guilty. Job is just like so many of us here. He's his own worst critic. 
He's his own worst critic. I think about for some of us, God wants to plant a dream in your heart. There's a vision God has for you of what you can do and who he's called you to be, and he's going to stretch you and use you in ways you never even thought possible. But you know what we do? That inner dialogue, that 1,300 words per minute, God planted the vision, and before he can even leave, we are stomping it out. Why? We say things like, well, I mean, I couldn't do that. I'm not that good of a leader. I don't have that skill set. I'm not well-connected enough. We're our own worst critic. But let me give you this illustration. Now, I know a lot of you, your, your kids are not in middle school, but just picture with me for a moment that you had a child in middle school, and we all know how middle school age can be. And so let's say you came to the school at a point in time where nobody was expecting you. You get there, and you walk around the corner, and there is somebody, and they are just lighting into your kid. It's another child, and they're just lighting into your kid, and they're calling your kid all sorts of names. They're belittling them. They're bullying them. They're just being really cruel to your kid. What do you do? I tell you what you do, that inner dialogue, that 1,300 words per minute has now started. And inside, you're trying to figure out, what can I do to hurt this other person as much as possible and not go to the county jail? <laughs> I don't want to end up on the evening news. But with every fiber of my being... I hate that this is happening, and I never want it to happen again. Can I remind you of something? You are God's child. You are His. And He doesn't want anybody talking to you the way that you talk to you sometimes. Even if it's you talking to you. Does that make sense? Do you feel convicted? You ought to, <laughs> because for a lot of us, we're our own worst critic, and that inner dialogue is going. And so here's what we have to do. I, I said eliminate negative self-talk. Really, probably a better title for this point would have been to replace negative self-talk. I love that second song that we sang. I am who God says I am. That's how we overcome this. That's how we get past this. We replace that negative self-talk with the promises of God. I am his child. I am his beloved. I am forgivable. I am capable. I am lovable. I am who God says I am. Amen? I am who he says I am. And when I begin to rehearse those things in my mind, when I begin to say those things, you know what happens? Like wax to a flame, all that negativity begins to just melt away. And so we replace that negative self-talk. So we relax in God's grace. We eliminate negative self-talk. Number three, the last way that we get off that insecurity roller coaster is we got to quit trying to please everybody. Quit trying to please everybody. 
For so many of us, that is the root of insecurity in our lives. We're trying to make everybody happy. Look at this verse, Proverbs 29, 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. Let's everybody try to read that. Fear of man will prove to be a be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. It's a trap. That's what a snare is. It's a trap. When we try to please everybody, it is a trap. So I want to give you three reasons it's a trap. Number one, I'm going to go through these quick. Three reasons it's a trap. Number one, because you can't. I mean, just doesn't get any more simple than that. I, I think about this past Monday. For all of you college football fans, this past Monday night was your night. And your team may not have been in it, but th- it was the college football national championship. And so all of the Clemson fan base, and there's a bunch of them, and there's some other bandwagon fans, you know, NC State fans that jumped on. And Carolina fans. Anyway. And they're all praying, Lord, please let my team win. Then there's a whole nother fan base, the Alabama fan base. And you know what they're doing? Lord, I don't care if it's Tua or if it's Jalen. I don't care. Lord, let these boys win tonight. But only one team can win. Only one team can win. Can I tell you something? God doesn't even try to please everybody in that situation. Now, I'm not saying God's a Clemson fan, but I'm just saying God doesn't try to please everybody. So when we try to please everybody, we are doing something that God doesn't even try to do. Second reason, when I try, I get pulled in a hundred different directions. When I try to make everybody happy, I'm going over here and doing this. I'm doing that. I'm making these calls. I'm sending these texts. And invariably, I've let somebody down. And and so you're never going to be able to do it. And at the end of the day, you are stretched so thin, you're a mile wide and an inch deep. And if you live for their approval, you'll die with their rejection. And sooner or later, you won't be able to keep up, and they will reject you. And if you've lived for their approval, you'll die with their rejection. Number three, I only have to please one to be happy. I only have to please one. And his name is Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, read that last part with me. Who can be against us? If God is for me, who can be against me? If I get to the end of my day, end of my week, end of my life, and everybody around me, my family, my coworkers, my fr- everybody loves me, but I've never spent time with God, I've wasted my life. But if I get to the end of my life and God is happy with me, well done, my good and faithful servant. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Not saying that we shouldn't try to keep up human relationships. Not saying that we shouldn't pursue those things. But we just begin to learn, I don't have to make everybody happy, and that's okay. But I've got to spend time with Jesus. I want to spend time with Jesus. My heart is bent toward him because I can't please everybody.
So I relax in God's grace. I eliminate the negative self-talk. I only, uh, I quit trying to please everybody. Those are some keys to get off the roller coaster of insecurity. I want to tell you one more thing, just in closing. Over and over again in Scripture, God is referred to as our rock, our strong tower, our defense, our stronghold. God is secure. God is our firm foundation. He is the cornerstone. And Scripture tells us that one day, everything that can shake will be shaken. And the only thing that won't shake is that which can't shake, that which has held firm. Do you know Jesus? Is he your rock? Is he your foundation? Is he your safe tower? Is he your refuge? That's the source of our confidence. We can do these other things, but that truly is the source of our confidence. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I believe that we have heard your word this morning. Not because it was me who said it, but because I believe wholeheartedly that you were in our midst. God, give us ears to hear. Not just right now, but ears to hear today and this week. And that you would plant a seed in our heart. And that as the days go by and the weeks go by, we would see that we have eliminated that negative self-talk. We would see that we are relaxing in God's grace and in your embrace. I pray, Father, that we would get off that roller coaster of insecurity, that we would stand on the firm foundation that is who you are. Thank you, God, that we can have confidence in you, in who you've called us to be, and in your plan for our lives. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.